Okay, so I am going to Los Angeles uh, on Tuesday morning, and, I, and I'm flying out. I'm going to a pastor's conference, and uh, the conference I'm going to, I was looking at the Facebook page for, for, for the church, and it said something about, it said, um, to the church family that's hosting the conference, it said, please be praying for us as uh, thousands of pastors, it'd be around 3,500 pastors will be there, as thousands of pastors from around the world come to be encouraged and refreshed. And then I thought, thousands of pastors from around the world carrying the coronavirus coming to <laughs> this church to be refreshed. And I thought, oh my goodness. And um, so anyway, I, so the coronavirus has everyone's attention, doesn't it? I mean, you can't watch the news for two seconds without seeing something about the coronavirus. And I do find it's kind of funny. I don't know why they chose the word corona. I just thought that, the, you know, the corona company probably is not thinking this is a great, uh, a great amount of advertisement for their, for their beverage. But um, you probably do get a virus from drinking corona, but um, it's a different kind of virus. But it has everyone's attention. And there's a lot of fear, Right? We see a lot of fear in people's lives and, and a, a sense of, oh, oh no, what's going to happen? Are we going to have a pandemic? And that's the idea is it, it's, yes, it, it is spread. It's all, it's spreading. We've had the first death in, a, in America that, that just happened a day or so ago. And so you hear both sides of the spectrum. You get one side that says everyone's going to get it and it's a pandemic. Then you get the other side where people say, why are they freaking out? It's not even any worse than the flu. More people die from the flu. Every year, 16 plus 20,000 people this year have died in America from the flu. So you see both sides of the spectrum. But if you evaluate and look at everything, there's just a high level of fear and concern about our life. And about, are we going to live? And, and if this virus spreads, what's going to happen? Are we gonna, am I going to be infected? Are my kids going to be infected? Is it going to go all over Homer Christian School, Jimmy? I don't know. What's going to happen? So I was thinking about the coronavirus. And I was thinking about this Sunday message. I was thinking about my message and what I'm going to say. And, and there's an interesting story. This has nothing to do with Nehemiah and where we're at in this series. But it, I think it's a good way to introduce what we're going to talk about this morning. And so there's an interesting story that Jesus tells in Luke 13. And he talks about a tragedy that takes place. And you won't have the scripture on, on the screen. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to read a little section from Luke 13 there. But there was a tragedy that that happened. At the, pool of, at the tower of Siloam. There was a tower that fell and killed 18 people. And so Jesus is discussing this with some people. And, and the question is, is, is what happened? And, and, and was it their fault? Was it because these people were wicked that God judged them and the tower fell on top and killed them? Was it, was it their fault? Or, or, or was, it, was it somebody else's fault because of what they did, because of their negligence? And they're going back and forth, and they're, they're discussing it. It's kind of like what happens in, a, in our country right now with this coronavirus. What's going on? Whose fault is it? What's going to happen? Are we all going to die? And Jesus gives a stunning answer to tragedy. You would think, Jesus, show some compassion. Listen to what he says in Luke 13, 5. He answers the questions. Well, here was... Here was one of the questions. It says, or, or those 18 on whom the tower fell, do, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others in, in Jerusalem? Jesus' answer was, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wow. Jesus. That's your answer? 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's he trying to say? We're all going to die. All of us. Corona may get me in California. I don't know. You may not have a pastor. Well, you might have, you have a pastor when you come back, but maybe I'm going to go home to be with the Lord. I don't know. But one thing I know is true is that all of us, all of us are, requ- are required to repent. The bigger issue is not, is not whether or not Corona is going to get us or whether we're going to die in a car accident on 311 when, when we leave here today. The bigger issue is, is how is your relationship with the Lord? Are you listening to the word of God? It, it, it has the word of God pressed into your heart and you've seen the beauty of Christ and have you repented of your sins? That's the bigger issue. That's what Jesus is getting at here. I read this quote. This is from Michael Haldman, Hoodman from gotquestions.org. It's a great, great website, gotquestions.org. Anytime, if you search something on Google and you get an answer from gotquestions.org, it's not a fly-by-night website. It's a really good website, gotquestions.org. He's a theologian that, that gives biblical answers. Listen to what he says about Luke 13 and about this idea that we're talking about here. Whether you're from Galilee or Jerusalem, from Kansas or Kenya, from the country or the city, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, whether you think of yourself as a sinner or a saint, and whether or not you even want to think about spiritual things, the fact is that you are under God's judgment unless you repent and have faith in Jesus. That's the truth. That's the bigger perspective we must have in situations like this, is that God's word God's word has to be pressed into the hearts of people so that they can see the brevity of life and the reality that God is true, that he's real, that he's alive, and that his son Jesus absorbed the wrath for them on the cross. That is always the bigger issue. Now, should we wash our hands? Should you cough into your elbow? Should we take precautions for all the medical people out there that are frustrated at me right now that I'm only focusing on repentance? Yes, we should do all of that. If you're sick... Stay home. Don't come to church. I can't promise you the live stream will will work, but I can promise you that it would be better for you to stay home if you're sick, right? We need to take precautions, but we we always, in situations like this, we need to think of the greater issue. Where are we with the Lord? And this is where the people of God are at. And so here's the segue back to Nehemiah 8. This is where they're at right here. This is where the nation of Israel is at. And if you've been here and you've listened to the messages for the, in, in this series about, about Ezra, the priest who opened the book of God, opened the law of God. If you remember the people of God that lived in rebellion against God, they had pushed his word aside and God judged them and they went into exile. They were, they were taken over by foreign nations. The kingdom was divided. And then God in his mercy brings them back out of exile. And Ezra goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem after the temple had been rebuilt. And he goes and he begins to teach the law and he's there for 14 years and he's plowing the ground. A revival of God's word is taking place. A revival is taking place and God's word is at the center of it. And he's teaching God's word to God's people, the exiled people that had come back to the homeland. And revival is taking place. And they're hearing God's word. And, and then the walls get rebuilt through Nehemiah and, a people, and the people that helped him. And they built the walls of Jerusalem. Now they have their protection. But at the center of it is God's word. And so this is what we've looked at so far. That we need God's word in our life as God's people. We need it in our world today. We can't let God's word collect dust. 
And then, and then Pastor Matt talked about how we are called to tremble before God's word, to reverence it, to be in agreement with God's word. And then last week, I, I encourage you, if you were not here last week, I encourage you to go on YouTube, go to our website, follow the link to the video, go on YouTube, watch the message from last week. I preached a message about the responsibility that I have and the pastors have in this church to handle God's word. And I talked about who a pastor is to be. What are the responsibilities for a pastor? I talked about that last week. It's a very important message. I would encourage you to go listen to that message. And so this week, now, the people have had the word of God read to them. The revival of Ezra, Ezra plowing the ground with God's word, teaching God's word, bringing it to the remembrance of God's people. This is culminating in this moment. In this moment, and he stands up, he opens the book, he reads for six hours from sunrise to noon. He reads it, and the people fall down. They stand up first when he opens it, then they fall down in repentance, and they're weeping, and they're wailing, and and this is where we're at, and this is what we're going to look at. And so we're going to read the text we're going to cover here this morning in Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12. If you were here last week, you know that I tried something a little different last week when I read our our text that we're going to preach from, and I want to do it again. And just as in Nehemiah 8, they stood up when the word was read, let's stand up here this morning. If you're able to stand, let's stand up as God's word is read out of honor and reverence, because we believe God is speaking through his word right now as, as I read it. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us. And I pray that in these next few moments, Lord, that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this is the culmination of what's taking place in the people of God here as the word of God's been opened, it's been read. And what I want to, how I want to end this series is, is I want to talk about what the word of God is powerful to do. We've seen that we can't neglect it. We've seen that we must reverence it and tremble before it. We've seen that the men that are called to preach it must live holy, blameless lives above reproach and that they must shepherd God's people. And now we want to end looking at what God's word is powerful to do in our life. As we submit to it, as we reverence it, as we hear it taught Sunday after Sunday, what is this word that we believe, that we see from scripture is alive and active? What is it powerful to do in your life? And there's no greater text for us to to build that off of than Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 through 13. So we're going to, we're going to launch from here to talk about what is God's words powerful to do. We'll go back and forth between Hebrews 4 and Nehemiah 8. But let's read Hebrews 4 here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked 
and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. So answering the question, what is God's word powerful to do? It tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 4. And we see it played out in Nehemiah 8 as we continue to walk through Nehemiah 8. The first thing that's clear right here is that God's word is powerful to cut with precision. God's word will cut with precision. God's word, as it says in Hebrews 4, it is sharper than what? Than any two-edged sword. God's word will cut with precision. The word of God cuts with precision, with precision because the word of God is clear. Because it's clear. When you think of being precise, you think of being clear, right? Something is precise, it's clear, it's detailed. It's clear, it's understandable. It cuts with precision because it is clear. God's word is not ambiguous. God's word is clear. God's word, though some people want to say it's hard to understand, God's word is clear. We just have to work at understanding parts, some parts other than others. But it is clear. He, God makes his point clear throughout scripture. God's word is clear. That's what it means that it cuts with clarity. This is what is happening in Nehemiah 8. In Nehemiah 8, they have, they're hearing the word of God read. And if, if you remember what I read there earlier, that as they heard it read, that they were weeping and they were mourning. Why? Because they understood what they had read. It was clear. The requirements that God had for their life from the law was being brought to bear on their life. And they understood it because it was clear. It was cutting with precision, and they were responding. And this is what God's word is able to do in my life and in your life. It's able to pierce through and to bring clarity in our life about who God is, about what he, what he requires, and what we are responsible for in our life as Christians. It's clear. Do you guys love Mark Twain? Great author. This is what he said about God's word. Most people are bothered by those passages of scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I have always noticed that the passages of scripture which trouble me most are those which I do understand. Because God's word is clear. Have you ever experienced that? God's word cuts with precision and it's clear and, it, and you see it and you're like, oh, I understand clearly what you're saying. And what you're requiring of me and what, who you are and your character, your holiness, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. I see it clearly because this is what God's word does. And what I want to do here, I want to go do a little survey real quick over some things that are unmistakably clear in God's word. God's word, God, for people to say, you know, some people will approach God's word and those who aren't believers, they'll say, well, it's just a bunch of contradictions. You can't understand it. And it was written thousands of years ago and it's just not clear. You can't make sense of it. But as a believer who's been awakened by the Holy Spirit, by faith, when you begin to dive into God's word, you begin to see, you know, wait a minute, God's word is clear about the big questions of life. And I want to give us a, a picture of how it's clear. God's word is clear that God is the creator of the universe. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. It's clear. We're not the result of a cosmic accident. God was the creator, is the creator. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through who? Through him, through Christ. And without him was nothing made that was made. So Christ was at the beginning, at creation, creating all that we see. The entire universe, including you and me. God is the creator 
Scripture is clear. That's just a couple of scriptures there that bring a clear picture. Humanity is created in God's image. We see that in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is where we get the biblical picture of the sanctity of life. Right here. This is why we fight for life. This is why we fight for every life and every stage of life. Because every person is born, is created in the image of God, and and they are intrinsically valuable, all of them, at every stage, in utero and out of utero. And we get that picture from Scripture. The next one we get is this. Humanity is born with a sinful nature. Romans 5, 12, so that beautiful child that's born in the image of God that is intrinsically valuable, they're born with a sinful propensity, a sinful nature. Scripture tells us that. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, Romans 5, 12, as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death and sin came through Adam. Sin and death came through Adam. Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Beautiful, made in the image of God, yet born with a sinful nature. And so as a result, here's something else that's very clear in Scripture. Sin separates humanity from God. It's clear. The Word of God cuts with precision. Scripture says it, Romans 3, 10 through 12, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Wow. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that sin separates us from God. It means that in our attempt to be right before God, that all of us fall short of his standard of perfection and holiness. We all fall short. Our sin separates us from God. Another thing that's very clear in Scripture is that Jesus is the only mediator, the go-between between God and man. Scripture is abundantly clear. Contrary to what people will tell you on the Internet or on TV, that all roads lead to the same place. No, if you believe the Bible and you believe what Jesus said, he was unmistakably clear. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in John fourteen six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. How do you get to heaven to the Father? Got to go through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It is abundantly clear that there is only one way to heaven. That's through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is another thing that's abundantly clear. God's word cuts with precision. It's clear. Faith alone in Christ alone is the only means for justification. It's the only means. The only way that you will be right. What does it mean to be justified? It's to be in right standing with God. Jesus is the only, faith is the only main, is the only means. Faith alone in Christ alone. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through who? Through Jesus. We're justified by faith in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. Through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Amen? Here's another thing that's abundantly clear in Scripture. 
that following Jesus will cost you. It'll cost you everything. Jesus said this in Luke 9. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. We lose all to gain all. We lose all. We, we, give up. we give up our rights of ownership over our life. We give up our rights uh, and, and, and our possessions and, and our ideas about what life is all about. We give it all up at the feet of Christ. We give all to Christ. The word of God is clear. It cuts with precision. It's not ambiguous. The word of God draws straight lines and reveals what is true about God, about humanity, about sin, salvation, and judgment. You know, sometimes I think that God must feel like I feel with my children. Have you ever talked to your kids sometime and you tell them something? I was telling something, Joel, telling something to Joel last night. <laughs> so we had a garbage bag outside. And I'd been, I told Joel, you need to put it in the garbage can. And so I, I was going to bed and I told him, I said, Joel, you just got your birthday money. But if I wake up in the morning... And that garbage bag is not in the can. You are giving me 20 of your birthday dollars. It is my money. And I, and I said, am I clear? And he did it. He did it. I woke up this morning. It was there. It was in the can. But I said to him, I asked him a question. Joe, am I clear? Do you understand me? And sometimes I feel like God can look at our lives and say, am I clear? Do you understand me? I have made it abundantly clear. These are the truths of my word. And sometimes God, I think God will look down at our life and he's, he, he, he walks in patience with us as we do with our kids. He's trying to pull us along and say, don't you see, this is what my word is saying. And God's word is cutting with precision and with clarity. And he's a patient father. He wants us to mature and to grow. The word of God gives us a clear picture of the realities we face today. It gives us an accurate picture of our human experience. It gives us a foundation to stand on because it is clear. It cuts with precision. In a world of lies, in a world of lies, the word of God stands out in a world of lies of a a place of clarity, of truth, a foundation that we can stand on. We can know why. Why do people suffer? Why does a tower fall on 18 people as we saw in Luke 13? Because, because, because we are born with a sinful nature. Because we are born in brokenness. Because our world is brokenness under the curse of sin. We have answers to the troubles in this life. And we have hope in this life because God's word speaks with clarity and it cuts with precision. The word of God stands as a clear and piercing truth that helps us make sense of the confusion all around us. So this is what God's word is powerful to do. And we see it in Hebrews 4. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. So if you're here today, if you're here today, maybe you're here and God's word's been cutting in your life and it's been clear. It's been precise. And God's word's been doing the second thing that his word says that it will do. God's word will reveal and expose. It's cutting with precision. It gets to the heart of the matter and God's word dissects like a surgeon's knife. God's word will reveal and expose. This is what it says back in Hebrews 4. 
it piercing to the, to the division of soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and what? Exposed, they're revealed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. God's word that cuts with precision and accuracy as it's doing in Nehemiah 8 and it's, it, and it's exposing and they're, they're hearing the clarity of God's word. What is it doing? Why are they weeping and they, uh, why are they weeping and wailing in Nehemiah 8? Because God's word that cuts with precision, with precision, I can't say that word, cutting with precision is exposing something in their heart. That's why they're crying. That's why they're weeping. They're looking at the law of God and it's being brought onto their heart with precision and they're realizing, wait a minute, that's not how I've been living. That's not what I've been doing. I've been ignoring God's word. I've been neglecting God's word. And they're in mourning and they're weeping. This is what God's word does. It doesn't just give us the general picture as I read through that list, these general realities of God's clear uh, truths in scripture god's word goes from generalities to your life it cuts to your heart and to my heart it reveals it it dissects between the thoughts and intentions of our heart you know you know you can hide hide from me you can hide from your pastor did you know that you can hide some of you can come in here and you can hide from your wife and your husband the things that have been going on in your heart but you can't hide from god and his word God's word will cut through every layer of defenses that we put up. It, it dissects our thoughts, our intentions, our motives. That's what God's word does. God's word has the ability to cut through the, the, the defenses that we put up. It has the power to cut through the layers of deception. Are you deceived here today about who you are? And your true spiritual condition? It has the power to cut through those layers. The word of God reveals the idols that we set up in our heart. As believers, you know, you can still set up idols. We can still set up idols in our life as Christians. Worship things that distract us from the worship of the true and living God. The word of God has a way to cut through all that deception and to show us that we are, we are, we are walking in idolatry in our life. James chapter one says this about God's word, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if you're a hearer of the word, but you're not a doer, you're in deception. If you're a hearer of the word and you're not a doer of the word, if you hear but you don't practice, you are deceived. That's what the Bible says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and the mirror don't lie. Right? You heard that phrase? You ever taken a picture of yourself and you're like, oh. Take a selfie and you think, do I really look that bad? The mirror doesn't lie. The camera doesn't lie. It's discouraging at times. That's what happens with the word of God. It, will, it, it can be discouraging at times. When you read something and, and we're worshiping idols in our life and God's word reveals something, it convicts us and we're like, oh, do I, am I, God, am I really like that? Do I really have those opinions? Do I really not like that person that much? That's what God's word does. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, God's word, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
God's word hits home in our life. As we look into the mirror of God's perfect law, we have to come to terms with who God is and what he asks of us and, and, with, and, and come to terms with where we are currently, spiritually. And so that's what I want to ask you. Where are you today? Where is, how is your relationship with the Lord? How is your walk? How's your walk? How, how is our walk today? Let's let the word of God do its job. And this is what it's doing in Nehemiah 8. They were off track. You know, listen, we need to just blow the lid off of this idea that as believers, we don't get off track. We get off track. God's people get off track. We make mistakes. We will sin. And, and this is what God's word does. So when you come into church on a Sunday and you get convicted by a sermon that I'm preaching because I'm teaching God's word, rejoice. Because God's word is doing what it's supposed to do. God's word is doing what it's supposed to do. Why? Because God wants us to get back on track. God wants us to walk in ways that please him and honor him. Why? So that we can shine as lights in the middle of a perverse world. When God's word cuts with precision, it exposes areas in our life that are not right. And we must come humbly to the Lord. We should be cut to the heart when God's word reveals areas we need to change in. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up. He preaches the first New Testament sermon, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. It fell in that room. 120 people were there, 120 disciples. And the Holy Spirit falls with power. And they begin speaking in unknown languages. And it is, there's a commotion. And people come in because it's the feast of Passover. And people from all over the region and the world, Jews, have migrated to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And they come in and they look into the room of 120 people and, and there's speaking this language and that language and the people from the different regions and regions of that language are listening and they're like, wait a minute, that guy looks like he's from Grand Caillou, but he's speaking Italian. That guy looks like he's from Dulac, but he's, pre- he's speaking this. What is going on? Are they drunk? And Peter stands up in the midst of what's going on. And he says, he says, repent. Repent. This Jesus that you crucified, he tells the Jews in that room that came in, you crucified him. He is both Lord and Christ. You crucified him. And you need to repent. And he's preaching a message of repentance and God's word is piercing their heart. And what do they say? Look at Acts 2. Now when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When God's word presses on our heart, when it cuts with precision and it's clear and then it cuts and exposes and it reveals, it cuts our heart. It cuts us to our heart. And we should say, as these men said in Acts 2, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Like in Nehemiah 8, they're on the ground. They're repenting. Their faces are on the ground. They're weeping and they're wailing. And I can hear the cry of their heart. What are we going to do? This is what God's law is saying. And this is what we're not doing. Cut to the heart. And this is what God's word does. You know what the challenge is, though? The challenge is, is that it's difficult for us to own up when we're wrong. Do you struggle with that like I do? Anybody else? Am I alone? Am I the only one here who likes to be right? Who likes to do things my way? Would you be willing to raise your hand with me and say that you're like me? 
Good. We don't have a church full of liars. That's good. That's good. We don't have to, we don't have, to have an altar call for lying here today. I remember, just to illustrate how bad your pastor is, about wanting it my way and not wanting to be wrong, wanting to be right. This is a terrible story. This is just terrible. So we got, this is before I was at Living Word, we were at another church. And a brother in the church told me, the, the senior pastor and the other assistant pastor, I was an assistant pastor at that church, said, I'm going to bless you for Christmas. I'm going to give the pastor $2,000 to go buy whatever he wants, and then the other pastor $2,000, and the other pastor $2,000. And you go, go, but you got to go spend it, go buy what, what, whatever you want. So I wanted a new HD TV. <laughs> I did not have, I had a, a tube TV, and, I, and Estelle was gracious, and so we agreed, and I got a 40 inch Samsung 1080p TV. It had just come out, and it was awesome. It was about that thick, but it was awesome. Got the TV. TV cost about $1,200, something like that, maybe a little more. And then we got a Blu-ray player because Blu-ray had just come out. Long story short, we had $500 left over. So I go to the brother. I say, look, hey, we're we're under budget. What do you want us to do? And he wrote me a check for $500. And so we, I, I get home, and I'm, I'm excited because I'm like, what are we going to go spend? <laughs> what are we going to buy next? <laughs> you know, I'm just being me. I like to spend money. And uh, Estelle, being the saint and the angel that she is, says, well, why don't we, shouldn't you, don't you think we should give this to the Lord? Should we bless somebody else because we've been blessed? And instantly I knew she was right. Instantly. I mean, I mean instantly I knew. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. But instantly, at the same time, I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> and, and I didn't want to admit that I wasn't a spiritual. And I didn't, I didn't want to give the money to the Lord. And we got in a fight. And I dug my heels in. I, and, and, and I'm just, I do not, this is not, listen, I have grown. I have never done this ever before, ever since. I've never done this since. I've never. I literally got in my car. We, used to, we lived in Oakshire. I got in my car. I left. Don't ever leave. In an argument, never, ever leave. I didn't know what, why was I doing this. I got in our little Honda Civic. I drove to the mall. And I just sat in the parking lot behind J.C. Penney's. And I knew I had to go back. I knew I had to go back. And the word of God is resting the truth of God about generosity and, and being a blessing because we, he's been a blessing to us is resting on my heart. And I knew I was wrong. I sat, I had to sit long enough, I couldn't wait for two minutes, right? I, had, I sat for about 30 minutes, and I went back, and I repented to the Lord and to my wife. But what was happening when I was in the car? The Word of God was pressing. The hand of God was heavy on my heart. It was cutting my heart. And this is what the Word of God does. It cuts with precision and clarity, but it also hits home. And we have to be willing to repent. We have to humble ourselves. First Peter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. For God opposes the proud, ridiculous people who leave and go park behind J.C. Penney's. <laughs> That's what he does. He opposes those people. But he gives grace to, to who? To the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under what? The mighty hand of God when his word is surgically cutting away the defenses and the idolatry and and cutting away the excuses for our sin. Humble yourselves under that mighty hand that he may exalt you 
in the proper time. When the weight of our sin is pressing upon us. When God's word has done its work and it has exposed the idols of our heart, we must respond with humility, with humble repentance. Listen to the psalmist David. This is what happens when you don't repent. I know none of you like to feel like this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Stop and think about that. Have you been there? Felt like you're wasting away under the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Felt like your bones were wasting away? You knew you were wrong. You knew you needed to repent. What does David say? I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen? Selah. Stop and think about that. Amen? God's merciful. He's gracious. He forgives whenever we come. Not, not with pride. When God's word cuts with clarity and precision and it cuts, it reveals and it exposes the idolatry of our heart, the sin of our heart, we should come humbly before him. Why? Because he will graciously forgive. Because he's full of mercy. And he's full of grace. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone in your life right now, no matter where sin has taken you, if you will make a decision today, this moment, right now, while I'm preaching, to humble yourself, the mercy of God will rush in. And he will forgive. And he will cleanse. And he will give you a fresh start. Amen? Amen. This is what we see in Nehemiah 8. They're, they are, they're miserable right now. They are being cut. They're being filleted. They're being diced. They're being sauteed. It is like a fish fry going on right now in their hearts. They are, they are just on the ground. They're weeping. They're wailing. They're mourning. And that word we read in Nehemiah 8 is true. They're mourning. They're mourning over their sin and how they've offended God. And then Ezra speaks up. And Ezra says, stop weeping. Stop mourning. Wait, what? What are you talking about, Ezra? Stop weeping, stop, war- stop mourning. Go get some sweet wine. Go get some food. Go celebrate. Go share with those who don't have any. Wait, wait, I'm busy mourning. I'm busy weeping. I feel the weight. He says, it's time to celebrate. Why? I love this. I'm about to, I'm about to preach myself happy. I'm almost done. A few more minutes, but boy, this is, I love this. Go back to the text here. Listen to what it says there. It says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's going on here? If you read further in Nehemiah 8, verses 13 and 15, it says that as they begin to dissect the word of God, they realize that they had not been observing the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. It's the same same feast, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. And they realize, wait a minute, we've not been observing that. And so they they begin to make preparations and and they begin to, to make tents and booths to dwell in. And what was the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths, what was it meant to symbolize? It was meant to commemorate when God delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. 
and how God kept them protected in the wilderness for 40 years. He was their booth. He was their shade. He was their shelter in the, in the wilderness. And so the reason Ezra is coming and is telling them, get off the ground. Get up. Get up. Quit, quit weeping. Quit mourning. Quit grieving. Why? Because your deliverer is here. You need to be reminded that your deliverer set you free. So this is another thing that God's word does. God's word will point us to our deliverer. God's word is clear. It cuts with precision. God's word, God's word will reveal and it will expose and we will be on our face before the Lord in repentance. But God's word also points us to the reality of our deliverer. God's word will point us to Christ. God's people in Nehemiah 8 were mourning over their sin. They were mourning over the fact that they had ignored God's commands. They were weeping over their rebellion. But the priest Ezra says, rejoice, God has provided. Remember how God provided? God is our deliverer. He is our rescue. God has provided. Celebrate and remember our God who provides deliverance. And this is a heart of the gospel. In the depth of your mourning, in the depth of your repentance, we have to look to Christ because he is our hope. He is our deliverer. God's word always points us to Christ. You remember in Hebrews 4, as we've been reading, it cuts, it dissects, it reveals, it exposes. But what does it say after? The next verses, Hebrews 4, 14. Listen to this. Since then, we have a great high priest Who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence come. Let us celebrate. Let us come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. I hear Ezra right there in Hebrews 4. Get up, grace is here. Get up, forgiveness is here. Get up, the deliverer is here. Get up, the savior is here. Quit mourning, celebrate because grace is here. Celebrate because forgiveness is here. Amen? My little children, First John, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, meaning that we all will sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that's a cause to celebrate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. He satisfied the wrath of God when he died on the cross. He absorbed the judgment for our sin, and that is the reason we celebrate. God's word cuts with clarity and precision. It reveals and it exposes our rebellion and our idolatry, but it also gives us the solution. It gives us the answer. God's word gives us the answer. God's word will cut, but God's word will heal and restore. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going, his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains. This is Hosea chapter 6. He will come as the spring rains that water the earth. What is the prophet Hosea saying? 
that God will cut. He will cut us through his word. He will reveal where we are not and who he is. But he will heal. He will restore. He will come as sure as the dawn comes. He will come as the showers, as the spring rain waters the earth. So this is the Christian life. I didn't tell you the title of my, of my message. It's morning yet rejoicing. That's Nehemiah 8. Morning yet rejoicing. That's the Christian life. Mourning over the sins of our own heart. Yet rejoicing in the once for all sacrifice of Christ. Mourning over the brokenness of this present world. But rejoicing in the hope of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Mourning yet rejoicing. Have you ever been disciplined by the Lord? Does it, does it hurt? Do you like it? I don't like it. I don't like to be disciplined by anybody, right? God disciplines us. You know, one of the evidences that you belong to him is that he disciplines you. One of the evidences that you're a child of God is that he corrects you. So I want to tell you here today, If you're feeling the weight of your sin here this morning, it is the reality that God loves you. You ever told your kids, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Right? And your kids are like, no way. This hurts. This discipline that you're giving me hurts. Look what Hebrews 12 says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you break a bone. What do they got to do? And I'm, I'm not a medical person, so I'm probably, I might say this wrong, but I assume that when you break a bone, you got to set it, right? Anybody can correct me if that's wrong? You got to set it, right? It might be a little painful, but you got to set it so that it can do what? so it can heal and that's what God's word does to us sometimes he's got to break us sometimes he's got to set our bone in the right place so that we grow in the right trajectory so that we grow in the right way so here's how I want to end today I I, I don't know the things that you're going through and what you're dealing with in your life but this is what God's word is powerful to do this is why we submit to it because his word is good for us so if you're here today and you've been running from the Lord. You've been, you've been running from his word. You've been trying to hide around the corner. Just like Adam. You remember when Adam sinned against God and he started running? And God came walking in the cool of the day. And he said, Adam, where are you? Adam thought he could hide from God. Omnipresent God who was everywhere. He thought he could hide from him. Maybe you're like that today. You've been trying to hide from God. You, and, but God knows. He knows. He knows every area of our life. He knows our thoughts, our intentions. He knows our heart. He knows the idols of our life. And if you're here today, you've been trying to run and hide from God. Today is a day to surrender. Today is a day to repent, to come humbly before the Lord and say, God, I am giving up the fight. I am not going to keep running. You've been pressing on my heart by your word about this area. In my marriage. Or this area in my finances. This area in my thought life. You've been pressing on me. You've been pressing on me. And I've been running thinking I'm hiding and I'm dodging you, God. But God 
is here telling you that he's here. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to come and humble yourself before him and repent and turn and then rejoice in his grace. So if you stand to your feet with me here today, this is what I would like for us to do. All of us, I believe, all of us have something in our life that God's been pressing on us. And I just want us to surrender today. I want us to surrender our heart to the Lord. So we're not going to make a bunch of movement here. We're just, it's, it's you and the Lord in your chair. I just want you to close your eyes. I just want you to think. Just take a moment. Just evaluate your life. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you, you need to repent and place your faith in Jesus as your Savior today. If that's you, you can do it right now in this moment. In the quietness of your heart, you can surrender to Christ right now. Maybe you're a believer here today and you've been hiding and trying to dodge God. His word's been pressing on you. Today is the day to surrender it all to him. And say, Lord, I give that area up to you. Change me. So whatever it is, right now, just lift your hands and surrender. And in the quietness of your heart, it's going to be quiet for a few moments here. I'm going to stop talking. And I just want us to pray to, 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 to ourselves, to the Lord. And I want us to surrender and to repent. Let's, let's do that right now. God, we surrender ourselves to you. We humble ourselves. In every area, God, that we've needed to surrender to you, we say yes. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God today. Forgive us for our rebellion against you. Forgive us for the sins of our heart. Lord, cleanse us. Lord, give us a renewed sense of passion and love for you. And I thank you for your people here today. I thank you, God, that your word is faithful to heal, it's faithful to redeem, faithful to restore, that you, God, are faithful. We thank you for your faithfulness in every area of our life, that you are our good father that disciplines us and chastens us, and we submit to it here today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I love you. I'll see you next week.